Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Today, if we hear your voice, Father, may we not harden our hearts. Father, help us to be soft, to listen to what your word has to say to us today, myself included. May this word really impact our hearts and change the way we live for your glory. Amen. I don't know if this... I'll turn it off. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes, okay. It's a privilege to be here, so it's great that I can be here. Sorry, I'm giving you feedback, which is not pleasant. Um, But it's great that I can come, and uh, it's such a privilege to bring the word to you. Please keep uh, your Bibles open, because God's word is authority, not me. So please keep your Bibles open. Now, I want to start by just telling you about... See if this works? Yep. Uh, I just want to start by talking about one of the biggest dangers to the modern church today, Uh, a danger that is very real and present, a danger that's actually keeping people from knowing God and keeping people from salvation. So it's a very serious matter, and it's a huge problem for our church today. Um, I'd suggest it's a huge problem that uh, SLE is not immune from. It's a huge problem that my church at CP is definitely not immune from, and it's something that we need to be on guard about each and every day, and that is legalism. Legalism. Or some people call it moralism. It's this idea that what you do is what gets you right with God, that your behavior is what makes you acceptable to Him, that your performance is what, is, is what God actually rates you on, that that is how you get saved. Your good works is what saves you, essentially. There's that belief that is very prevalent throughout the churches of today. And I would suggest that that's the case because it's very prevalent in our society to think like that, isn't it? To think that what you do is what you get rewarded for. To think that um, if you work harder, you'll get rewarded for it. We've been, many of us have been brought up in that system where if you work hard, you can achieve it. And that's the only way that you'll achieve it. 
especially those of you from an Asian background, that's very much a value of Asian society, to work hard and to be rewarded for that. That's how you earn things. But even here in Australia, I think that's very present. I do think it's epitomised, though, in uh, China. I don't know if you know about this, but China is actually building a digital system to monitor how their citizens behave. It's called social credit. Have you heard, have you heard about this? Yeah. So it's essentially a system where using high-tech surveillance, uh, facial recognition, geo-tracking, things like that, the government actually is able to track the behaviour of their citizens and assign points accordingly. So it depends on uh, even things like what you do, what you shop for. So if you go and they notice that you're spending too much on alcohol, they'll flag you as a potential alcoholic, you'll get less social credit scores. Um, but whereas if you go to the shops, you buy nappies, they'll see your responsible mother, and then you'll get more social credit scores. Yeah, so there's a, actually a point score assigned to your behaviour. It's performance-based. And this affects the services that you can access in China. So if you have a high social credit score, you have access to the best, uh, the best loans, uh, VIP treatment at hotels and airports, you get in the fast track for those sorts of things you can get. Um, yeah, other social services quite readily. Whereas if you have a low social credit score, then you're actually barred from services like public transport. You can't get loans approved for, you, for yourself. You, you can't get the benefits of those with a higher social credit score. And it sounds a bit like a sci-fi movie, some dystopian future sort of thing, but this is reality, this is happening. They hope to have this system fully up and running to its maximum extent by the end of this year. And in one sense, it's quite scary, but it's not that hard to believe as well because that's how we think as humans so often, isn't it? That's ingrained in who we are. Here's how many of us, and I'll suggest here today as well, many of you, think about God. Oftentimes we think about God like this. We think that God is the one that's always watching, and that part is true, he's always watching. But we think that God is there, he's got a little scorecard, and he's ticking off our little points on our behaviour. He's, he's giving us a, a rating, a score. Uh, so we think that, you know, we studied well, on our, we studied hard, did well on our exams, tick. Um, we, we didn't shout at the kids this week, tick. Uh, we uh, did something nice did something nice for my wife, tick, um, gave some money to charity, tick, did my quiet time today, Bible reading prayer, tick, um, came to church, tick, preached a sermon, tick, big tick for that one. Right? And we believe that's how God is seeing us, that he's looking at us and he's rating us based on our performance and our behaviour. We fall into the trap of thinking that our performance is what makes us right with God. We think as long as we try hard, that God will be okay with me. We think how good we are is what will save us. And friends, I'll suggest to you, even if you don't consciously think that, so often how we live says something different, doesn't it? And I want to show you today, I want to show you today that this thinking, this human way of thinking, of earning our way to be acceptable to God, is not only unbiblical, but it's just completely wrong, and it's incredibly destructive. And not, not only that, I want to show you that it, it just dishonours God and what He has in store for us, because He's got something so much better 
so much better than that human way of thinking. Fab surpasses what we could possibly comprehend. His way of how we come back into relation with him, it blows us out of the water. But to firstly understand, we need to understand our need for salvation. We need to understand this first point, which is the fact that we are all dead. We are all dead. You see, this is an ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul to early church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he starts this section of the letter with this quite a bold statement. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 1, have a look at it in your Bibles with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So here is Paul, and he's talking to the church, and he's telling them something. He's saying, before you were Christian, you were all dead. Before you were Christian, you were all dead. And this is a reality for the Ephesian church back then, but this is a reality that he's saying to us today as well. Before knowing Jesus, before being a Christian, we were all once dead. And if you don't know Jesus and you're here today, this is still the reality that we are dead. You might be here today and you're not a Christian. It's so great that you're here in church today. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't quite understand this because I'm not a Christian. I'm definitely alive. I'm not dead. I'm fine. Well, can I respectfully say that what the Bible is saying here is that you aren't. Because while physically you may seem alive, there's a reality, a spiritual reality, where apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot be fine. Apart from Jesus Christ, scriptures tell us you are dead. None of us are fine without God. While we might be physically alive, we are spiritually dead apart from God. A state that we were all once in, myself included, being spiritually dead comes because of something that lives in all of us. It comes because of sin. It becomes because of our, comes because of our hearts that reject God. Have a look again with Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1. And you're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, verse 3 talks about this. Verse 3 talks about the fact that we lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, following our flesh, our earthly human desires. That's how Paul here describes sin. What, what's he talking about here? Well, what, what, what might that look like for you? What, when you shouted in anger at the kids the other week, that's sin. When you disrespected your parents with your words and your actions the other day, that's sin. When you're out with your friends and you lost control and you got drunk the other night, that's sin. When you're in your bedroom alone and you looked at something on your phone that you shouldn't have looked at, that's sin. When your eyes are greedy for the next expensive toy, car, house, career, wealth, when greed overcomes you, that's sin. When you proudly find satisfaction in your achievements, your marks, your career, and you privately think that, you know, you're better than others around you, 
and you've done this all by yourself. Well, friends, that's sin. And I just want to clarify something. When, oftentimes when we think about sin, we think it's just naughty behavior, a little bit of naughty behavior, but you see, sin isn't really about behavior. That's just a symptom of the underlying disease. It's about hearts that are set against God. That's what sin is. Sin uh, is about hearts set against God. It's about hearts that are selfish, and they, don't, they do whatever we want. We want to do. We don't care what God wants. It's about hearts that set ourselves up as the center of worship, that set ourselves up as God. It's hearts that mean that we either actively seek to disobey God, we know what God wants us to do, or we know what we should be doing, but we don't want to do it, or the other end of the scale, we just act like God doesn't exist. We completely ignore Him. If you're honest with yourself, you know you are guilty of at least one of those things. You fall on that scale somewhere. Is God the primary object of your affection, your desire, your worship, your love? Is He, is, is he the one that you worship? Or is it yourself? Friends, let me suggest to you something that Scripture tells us. We all have a deep sin problem. All of us. Each and every one of us. And there are consequences of this. Verse 3 says that because of our sin, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because as we sin, we, what happens is that like unappreciative children, we spit into the face of our Father who has given us everything. We shamefully dishonor Him. We reject Him. But here's the thing about God, our Father. He is holy. He is good. He is perfect. And He is just. And He can't just sweep sin under the carpet. He can't just forget about it and think that it doesn't exist. He can't just let us go without any consequences because that is not good. He is perfectly good. And He is just. So sin needs to be punished. There needs to be consequences for this. There needs to be consequences. There is a punishment. And here's the ironic thing. Because in one sense, when we sin, do you know what we're telling God? We're telling God, get out of my life. I don't want you in my life. I want to live my way. I don't want you telling me what to do. And as part of His punishment, God gives us what we want. We're cut off from God. Our sin cuts us off from God. We aren't in relationship with Him because of sin. We are separated because of sin. We cannot be acceptable to God because of sin. And we are cut off from God. But here's the thing. When you're cut off from God, the creator, the life giver, then you can't have life. When you're cut off from God, the reality is that we die. So while we seem to be living while we seem to even be feeling very alive spiritually, apart from God, we are dead if we're cut off from Him. Whoops, sorry. I don't know if you like flowers. Um, I'm sure some of you in this room like flowers. And flowers are lovely, aren't they? You put them in your house, they make the house look nice and smell nice and they're a lovely little decoration. Uh, but the thing about flowers is we all know that they don't last very long, uh, perhaps which is why the men in the room think they're a waste of time. But please don't say that to your wives. 
Um, here's a marriage tip. If your wife thinks it's important, then it's important. Yeah? So um, flowers are one of those things which are just very temporary. But while they are alive, they, they look vibrant, right? They look alive. They look like they're thriving. But we all know that in a few days they'll be wilted. And that's because they're cut off from their source of life. A bouquet of flowers sitting in a jar is cut off from their source of life. So it's not really living. In the same way, that is us apart from God. We look alive, we feel alive, but we aren't really. We're dead spiritually apart from God, which means that physically as well, death is waiting. It's around, waiting around the corner. We're living on borrowed time. There's not many sure things in life, my friends, but let me tell you something, one thing that is sure, is that 100% of people will die. 100% of people will die. Some of you know that more than others here, as you've lost people close to you. Because spiritual death leads to physical death, and physical death leads to the horrors of eternal death to come afterwards. Friends, death is this power in this world that we just cannot beat. Death is the one thing that we can't beat, no matter how hard we try. But here's some good news. There is someone that can beat death. There is someone that has. And that means that we can be alive. We can be alive. Have a look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ and even when, we, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And verse 4 starts with that beautiful word, but, B-U-T, this little three-letter word, it makes all the difference because this was the state, we were all dead, but there's something more. There's hope. There's a better story to come. You see, when we're dead, it means not only that we're out of relation with God, it means that we can't do anything to help ourselves. Here's the truth. Dead people can't do anything. I don't care how many vampire or zombie movies you've seen. Dead people cannot do anything. Dead people cannot make themselves alive. Dead people are dead. They're helpless. They can't achieve anything. They can do nothing to help themselves. And that's the reality for us. When we're spiritually dead, there's nothing that can be done from our side to help ourselves. There's nothing that can be done from our side to make ourselves alive. And that is why God has to step into the picture. Notice in these verses that He is the one active in doing everything. Who is it that makes us alive with Christ? Not ourselves. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is God that is the one acting God is the one who is active because we are dead. We cannot do anything. And here's another thing to note. Why does God do this? Why does God go to the effort of making us alive? Well, verse 4, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. We need to understand that even when we were at our worst and we wanted God to get out of our life. We, he didn't leave us there. He pursued us in love. He gave everything for us. Do you understand that? He didn't leave us, even though that's what 
we wanted, even though that's what we deserved, in fact. But he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for us out of love and out of mercy. His son who comes and dies the death that we were supposed to die. His son that comes and faces the full extent of the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out on us on the cross. Jesus Christ who gives everything. Why? Because he wants us to come back into relationship with God. He wants us to have life again. He does that because of love, love and mercy and grace when we least deserved it when we could do nothing to help ourselves. This is the love of God shown to us. Christ's very life, so that we can live again. And friends, in this passage, there's something really special here. is union with Christ. Did you notice that? Union with Christ. Um, I hope you all know about union with Christ because you did a sermon series on that, yeah? Big nods. Pastor Steve's going to watch your nods, yep, yep. All experts on union with Christ, excellent. So I won't go into much detail into this, but we, we need to understand again how important union with Christ is because just, you just get this into your heads. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Without Jesus, we have nothing. If we aren't united with Christ, we have nothing. But with Jesus, we have every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1. Every spiritual blessing. Because what union with Christ means is that what happens to Jesus happens to us. What Jesus gets, we get. This incredible union with him where all the blessings of God the Father to his Son come to us as well. What a privilege. Union with Christ. Don't ever forget how important that is. How are we made alive? We're made alive with Christ. With Christ. Apart from Christ, nothing is possible. When we're united with Jesus, we get new life. When He dies, our old dead self dies with Him. When He rises, our new spiritual life is risen with Him. Jesus' resurrection means death is defeated and we can have new life. And not only that, not only do we rise with Him, we ascend with him as well. And in verse 6, if you have a look at verse 6 in your Bibles. Verse 6. And we are raised and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not only raised to new life, we're also spiritually, we ascend with Jesus Christ into the heavenly places. What a mind-blowing thing to comprehend that we get to sit with Jesus in the heavenly places. What's the implications for us about this? Well, it means that if you're a Christian here today, you have an assurance that is far beyond anything this world can ever offer you. Because your assurance is based on where Jesus is, as not on your performance. Your assurance is based on the fact that with Jesus, you are with him where he is right now. Our union of Christ assures us that even as we live in these temporary human bodies, in these broken sinful bodies, that we have already been made alive with Christ. And not only that, we are already ascended into the heavenly places. We're already sitting with Jesus Christ, even as we live in these frail human bodies here. We are there spiritually. We are in heaven now with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's hard to comprehend this because we're so used to what we can see and touch and that tangible thing. It's a little bit abstract. But let me tell you, 
Christian brother or sister, if you trust in him, you live in two worlds. We're in something called the overlap of the ages. You might have heard that term before. Where we live in this world, but we also live with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Physically, we're here. Spiritually, we're there. And because of our place with Jesus right now, when this world comes to an end, we know our heavenly home lies secure. That's what it means to be in Christ, friends. An assurance that nothing in this world can ever offer you. Friends, this is what we need. Because you and I both know that as good as your life is, and I don't know what your life is like, but generally here in Brisbane, things are pretty good. We all know that living in this world is far from perfect, isn't it? There's pain, there's hurts, there's disappointments, there's broken relationships, there's sickness, there's death. And we know and there's something in our hearts which just knows, knows that this isn't the way things should be, that there is something, there's got to be more than this. And let me tell you, you're right, because you were made for something much more than this world. You were made for heaven. You were made to be in relationship with your God. You were made to be in relationship with your Father for eternity. You are made to be in a reality where there is no more sin, no more death, no more pain, and no more suffering. That's where you belong. So if you feel a bit restless, you feel like there's something more, that you're longing for something to fill this hole in your heart, then this is what it is, to be back in relationship with your Father. And it's Jesus Christ that secures that for you. You can be made alive. You can have relationship with the life-giving God again. But as we return to the question that we started with, started with, how? How does God do this? How can we be acceptable to God? How can we come back to relationship with Him? Well, let me tell you, this is a gift. This is a gift. Have a look at verse 8 with me. <clears throat> verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Throughout this passage, I don't know if you noticed, but did you notice when we were saved? Did you notice when we were made alive? It was when we were dead. It was when we were dead in transgressions. It was when we, we were at our very worst. It was when we were separated and far from God. It was when we were rebelling against God. It was when we didn't want God to have anything to do with us. It was when we were telling God to get out of our life. It was when we were rejecting God. It wasn't when we were lovable. It wasn't when we were doing lots of good things for God. It wasn't when we were very obedient and then God decides to save us. It was when we were at our very worst. We were dead. No hope. Dead. That's when He chose to save us. It was when we didn't deserve it. But God, being rich in mercy, being rich in love, sent His Son Jesus to die for us at that point. I mentioned before that we're used to earning things. And I can sense, I've got this sense in this room, there's a lot of high achievers here. I just know, I don't know. I, just, I can feel it, high achievers. But let me tell you something, friends. You can't earn eternal life. You can't earn eternal life. Maybe you're a good person. Maybe you're a very good person. I don't know you. I don't know what you're like. But I do know something. You're not good enough. 
It doesn't matter how good you are. You can never earn your salvation because God is perfect and we are not. The gap between us and God, we can't comprehend. We can't reach His standards. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't be made right with Him based on how good we are. We can't earn our salvation, friends. We need to understand that, which is why we need this thing called grace. Let me emphasize that we need grace. It's not an optional extra. We need grace. What do we do to deserve a second chance with God? What do we do that while we were telling God to get out of our lives, He would sacrifice His only Son for us? What did we do? Good things. What good things did we do that God will favor us in this way? You know what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's exactly the point. That's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. We bring nothing to the table except our sin and rebellion, but God chooses to love us and save us. That is grace. And that's what we need. That's what we need. It's an undeserved gift. And it's outrageous. Let me tell you about um, when I was in grade one at Mansfield State Primary School on the south side of town. Um, This isn't my classroom, but it's a stock photo of a classroom just to put you in the mood of uh, my story. Uh, I had a nice old teacher called Mrs. Bow, and she was a lovely teacher, but we weren't exactly the best class in the world. And there was one day where I think it must have been raining, so if you're a teacher or you're actually, we've all been children, we know when it rains, people go crazy. Uh, so the kids were mucking up, everyone was shouting, everyone was screaming, and it was just getting really out of hand. And she just, you know, she had had enough, so she said, Right. Quiet. Who was speaking? And I thought to myself, a little um, six-year-old child, I was like, that's a dumb question to ask. Clearly no one's going to admit to that. Everyone's speaking. But if you're going to admit to that, you're going to get punished. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to go to the principal's office. You're gonna, you, you might even get your name moved from the happy clown face to the sad clown face. There's consequences for doing the wrong thing. And I'm thinking, no one's going to put up their hand, but... You know what? Two little girls in the front row put up their hands. I think they're what you call teacher's pets, I think. I don't, I'm not sure. Anyway, so I'm thinking to myself, oh, why did they do that? They're going to get in so much trouble. What's go- oh, this is, this is not going to go well. But you know what my teacher did? Mrs. Bowe said to them, um, okay, you two come up here. Uh, because you've been honest, you can have some lollies. And there I am, this little six-year-old kid, and my mind's like, what is going on here? These people have done the wrong thing and they're getting a good thing. They're getting a gift because of it. They've done the wrong thing, but they're getting a gift. This is outrageous. It doesn't make sense. I think I tried it later on and it didn't work. I just got in trouble. But (laughs) that's not the point. But in my head, this is out. It doesn't make sense, does it? Doing the wrong thing and you get a gift because of it. But friends, this is how oh, God's grace is even more outrageous than that because we didn't even bring anything to the table. We, we don't even bring our honesty to the table. Isn't grace outrageous? It doesn't make sense that we do the wrong thing and we get a gift. Have you ever thought about that? We sin. We rebel against God. We reject God. But we get a gift. It doesn't make sense. But that's the point. Because God's ways are not our ways. 
We need to break our worldly frameworks, friends, of how we approach our God. We don't bring our good works to our God. That's not what we, he needs. We need to bring. We need to stop applying this wrong thinking to God. Friends, you, let me say something. You can never be good enough for God. You can't be good enough for God. But that's okay because you don't have to be good enough for God. He accepts you just as you are. He's given you His grace. And grace is undeserved. All you have to do is receive it. Friends, if you take away one thing from today, I want you to remember this. It isn't good people that are saved. It's bad people that have received God's grace. Let me say that again. It isn't good people that are saved. It's bad people that have received God's grace. Do you understand that? Your performance is not what saves you. Your good works is not what gets you right with God. It's His grace that saves you. Jesus wants us to come to Him and trust in Him. Right? Jesus, he's calling us to repent, come to Him, and to trust in Him. But it, when, when we do that, He doesn't want us to come to Him with our hands full of our good works, saying, Jesus, my Lord, look at what I've done for you. Look at all these good things. Look at the way I've served you. Look at all the charities I've given to you. Look how good I am as a person. Jesus, accept this. He doesn't want us to come with our hands full of our good works. He wants us to come with empty hands, empty hands, so He can give us His gift of grace. And all we have to do is receive it. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. And that's the only way that we can be saved. As I finish, let me finish with two applications. One for the non-Christians, one for the Christians. Let me talk to the non-Christians first. If, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, I would urge you to do so. There's no secret that's the reason we want you to be in church because we think this is the best thing in the world. Everyone loves a good deal, don't they? I'm sure there's many of you in this room that spend many hours on Osbargen every single day, right? We love a good deal. Everyone loves a good deal. Well, this is the best deal in the universe. Do you know what it costs to have salvation with, uh, salvation with Jesus Christ? Do you, do you know what it costs to be made right with God again? Do you, know what, do you know what it costs you to get to heaven and have a heavenly hope secure for you? Well, for you, it's free. It's free. Absolutely free. It's a gift. It's given to you. And it's free because Jesus has paid everything that is needed. Because it cost Jesus his very life. And he was willing to do that for you. So you could have this for free. There's no better deal. There's no, no better offer. This is what's given for you. All you have to do is receive it. You might be here today and you're thinking, well, Pastor Iggy, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. Um, I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve it at all. Well, let me tell you something. You're right. You don't deserve it. But you get it anyway. That's what grace is. And it can be yours if you come to Jesus Christ. It isn't good people that are saved. It's bad people who receive God's grace. Now to the Christians, which I believe to be most of the room today. I know, I know many of you would wholeheartedly believe in this concept of grace. You know, we're at a church that teaches Reformed Evangelical theology. Grace is at the core. Yes, I believe in grace. I know it's all Jesus. But let me ask you to reflect on your life and to think about your life and to ask yourself, does the way you live 
reflect this? Do you live dependent on God's grace alone for your salvation and your status with God? Or perhaps do you live a little bit differently? Let me ask you, do you feel that God loves you more when you've been going really well with your quiet times? When you've been reading your Bible regularly, when you've been praying regularly, do you just feel like God just loves you more at that point? Do you feel more secure in your status with God because perhaps you're serving on a ministry team here at SLE? So you're more confident in where you stand with God because of that. Do you, after you've perhaps fallen into sin, work extra hard to make it up to God? Do, do a lot of good things, serve more at church, whatever it is, to, to pay that off? I know that's what I'll, I tend towards doing, unfortunately. Now, don't get me wrong, serving God is important. Being obedient to God is important. And as you'll find out later in the series on the firm foundations, how we live really matters. But if you actually think like what I've described just then, then maybe, just maybe, it's a sign that you aren't really depending on God's grace as much as you think, but in fact you're depending on yourself. You're depending on your performance You're depending on your good works. You're depending on your behavior. You're depending on what you do to make you acceptable to God. Maybe your thinking is more merit-based than you actually realize. And when we do that, that's incredibly dangerous. When we start thinking that we're okay because we're good people, when we start relying on our own righteousness, when we start relying on our own ability, when we start relying on our own good works, you know what that means? It means we stop relying on Jesus and Jesus alone. And friends, that's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Friends, the Christian life is not about trusting Jesus as a one-time thing. You don't just one day say the sinner's prayer and all of a sudden you trust it in Jesus, you're in that's cool, don't worry about it. You know what the Christian life is? You know what faith actually is? Faith is every single day. Faith and trusting Jesus Christ is every single day. Every step of your Christian walk, every step of your discipleship is faith. It's trusting in Jesus every day. There's not a day that you don't need to trust in Jesus. There isn't a day where you're, you've made it, where you've arrived, you've graduated from grace and you don't need grace anymore. You need Jesus every single day. We need to get that into our heads. Because if we don't, then we just start depending on ourselves and how good we are and how talented we are and how much we do for God and we, our righteousness becomes our basis for salvation rather than Jesus. But we need Jesus every day. We need grace. What we need to understand is that we cannot do this without Jesus. We cannot be saved without Jesus. It's got to be Him and Him alone. It's His grace not us that saves every day. And how, we, how do we do this? Well, it's not a secret formula, friends. Come to your scriptures. Look at who Jesus Christ is. Look at who your God is. Look at the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And here's a key thing which I think that um, really pulls us astray. We need to be broken about our sin. I think after being a Christian for a while, I don't know about you, but for me, so it's so easy to just take sin casually. Jesus has paid for it, that's fine. But we need to be broken about our sin in the face of our holy God to see how, 
severe sin is, we need to be broken about that, to realize that sin cuts us off from God and we can do nothing about that, that we are dead and sin is serious because it's only when we realize the depths of our sin that we'll understand the heights of the grace that's been shown to us. Otherwise, we'll think we don't need grace because we're good enough. So I want you to come to your scriptures. I want you to see the gospel. I want you to be broken by your sin and then I want you to sit at the foot of the cross and give thanks to God that Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Not because of anything you've done, but because he loves you and he's shown you grace. Grace, grace, grace. It's a gift. So keep reading your scriptures. Keep meeting with fellow saints at SLE. Keep coming to your small groups. Keep gathering around the word and pray for God to change your heart that you'll never forget the grace that he's shown you. Because if we ever move away from this, we move away from the core of our faith. Friends, it isn't good people that are saved. It's bad people that have been shown God's grace. Let me pray. Father God, forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we've just trusted in our own righteousness to be right with you. Forgive us for the times that we've relied on our good works to get us salvation. Forgive us, Father, that we've stopped trusting in Jesus, if that is us. But help us to never leave the cross, to never stop seeing Jesus Christ as the source, the sole source of our salvation. And we give you such thanks that you have given us a gift that we don't deserve, that we did nothing to earn. May we always be in awe of that. May our lives be centered on that. May we worship you in response. And may you help us because we are sinners in need of your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.